Welcome to The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. Together, we will journey through self-discovery and fulfillment in life. Here's your host, Jan Jones. Welcome, everyone, to The Good Good Life. I am your host, Jan Jones, and I am so excited. You know, I say that all the time, but I mean it. We have another incredible show with a phenomenal guest today, and I cannot wait to introduce her, but... You know, I want to know. And if you're a regular listener, just say it with me. I am awake, alert, alive, enthusiastic because we are going to, we are talking about restoring our resilience today. And we have got a resilience expert with us. So I want everyone to just take that deep breath. Uh, yeah, let's shake it off. Let's be here and let's really talk about this good, good life that we are all so blessed to live. I want you to claim it. Something good is going to happen to me and something good is going to happen through me. I want to dive into this resilience topic because I have the great fortune of getting to talk about resilience quite a bit. And we often think that, you know, the only way we can really work on our resilience is to go through something hard. But just like me, my guest today knows that we can be more prepared before before the hard thing hits, before the challenges come our way. And she has written a book about it. And we're going to talk about some of the skills that she has written on how we can be pre-prepared with our resilience. We will be armored with this because it's not only about bouncing back, but it is about moving forward, more energized, more elevated, more equipped. So if you are feeling a little disappointed this week or today, you are about to get reappointed with my guest, Anne Grady. Let me tell you a little bit about Anne. Anne is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and an expert in building resilient teams, leaders, and organizations. She is also a two-time TEDx speaker, trainer, survivor, optimist, and inspirer. That's a hard word to say, but I love that word. Anne has a master's degree in organizational communication and has spent the last 20 years working with some of the largest organizations around the globe, including Microsoft, Dell, Lockhead, Martin, Johnson & Johnson, ADP, and Google. And she's here with you and with me today. I'm so excited. Um and it's featured in the press and media and contributes to Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Forbes, and more. And is known for her ability to intertwine storytelling, neuroscience, and psychology with wit, humor, and authenticity. We all need to laugh. Um, let's see. I lost my place, everybody. She shares inspiring personal stories, cutting-edge research-based content, and implementation tools to transform learning into real life. And she'll make you laugh while she does it all. In her first two books, Anne provides practical strategies to improve relationships, increase productivity, and most importantly, reduce stress. Her latest book, which is what we're really going to talk a lot about today, Mind Over Moment. Harness the Power of Resilience. It outlines a science-based approach to build a resilient mindset, skill set, and the ability to reset. Anne is a mental health advocate and donates a portion of all of her book proceeds to the National Alliance on Mental Illness and 
get this, she was recently named as one of Success Magazine's Best Motivational Speakers to Know in 2022. Wow, I'm so honored to have you here. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Jan. I'm so excited and thrilled to be here. Well, I cannot wait for our listeners to just absorb every word that you have to say today and the insight that you're going to share. And I think it would be amazing if they just know a little bit more about your background, your life journey, some of the the moments where you have had to show this resilience. So I just want to open the mic up to you and let you tell us a little bit about your life. Well, I think my life mimics a lot of people's, right? We have trauma, we have challenge, we go through these like bumps and and roadblocks and we all come out, if you're listening to this, right? You've survived everything that's ever happened to you and you're still here, right? So we're resilient by nature. Um, And my story, you know, while starting in childhood, really what, what drove me to study resilience in the brain and to understand it is my son, Evan. So when, when I was pregnant with Evan, I knew something wasn't right. Uh, when he was born, you know, the nurse comes into the room and says, honey, I've been doing this 30 years. I have never met a baby this angry, which is always what a first time mom wants to hear. He was just chronically cranky and irritable. And long story short, um, he tried to kill me when he was three. Um, by the time he was four, he was on his first antipsychotic And at the age of seven, he was in his first pediatric psych hospitalization, and I lived at the Ronald McDonald House while he underwent inpatient treatment. During his second hospitalization, I had a fly out to give a keynote, and I was, my flight was delayed by three hours. I was exhausted. I was so sad leaving him and just felt horrible. So I was in the airport, and I had a horrible migraine, and a massage therapist at the the place said, oh my gosh, honey, you look like you could use some love. So she gave me her card. Um, And she actually came to my house when I got home from my trip and gave me a 90 minute massage, her treat. But in doing so, found a lump in uh, on the right side behind my ear and turned out that it was a tumor in my salivary gland that was traveling toward my brain. So they did surgery immediately, but the facial muscle or the facial nerve had stretched around the tumor so much that when I woke up, the right side of my face was totally paralyzed. So I had a speech impediment and I drooled and a couple of days later, uh, like a speck of dust because I couldn't close my eyes, scratch my cornea. Um, So then they had to implant a gold weight into my upper eyelid, stitch up my bottom eyelid before I started radiation. And the weekend before that, I fell down a flight of stairs, breaking my foot in four places. Uh, So it was just kind of one of those where like when it rains, it pours one thing after another after another. But just like anybody else, you know, there's moments where you just want to pull your hair out and you're exhausted and sad and angry. And then there's moments where you feel inspired and and ready to tackle the world. But I, I really got curious. What is it about the human brain that keeps us stuck? How do we get out of that cycle? And then what can we do to your point to build the skills and the muscles that we need so that when things do happen, as we know that they will, um, we're able to bounce back better, bounce back faster and and with more ease. That doesn't mean that you don't go through challenging times. It doesn't mean you don't feel stuck and struggle, but it does mean that there are some actionable, practical strategies that you can implement to build that, what I call a resilience muscle so that you have it when you need it and to help you get through the tough times a little easier. I mean, I am over here just dumbfounded by that season that you were in because we went from reading and and hearing about all these amazing accolades and achievements in your life and you had all of that going on with Evan and with your tumor and broken bones and (laughs) still trying to build your business and I'm, I'm sure everyone is just like, how did you do that? And we're going to get into that. Just like you said, I love the way you put it, that resilience is a muscle. And if we aren't working out our muscles in our body, then they will atrophy, right? They will, they will not be there. We will be weak. And something else that you said, you got curious about the human brain. You know, and what is it that helps us to survive? Because like you said, every single person 
who is listening and will listen to this, they are survivors and we are resilient by nature. But if we could only build it bigger and better. Um, and I love that message. And I'm 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 just inspired by the fact that you have now, you know, been able to raise your child. Like how old is Evan now? Evan is 20 uh, and my daughter is 21, um, but Evan lives in Idaho because in Texas uh, we've been on a list for, so when Evan was 15, we we had to make the most horrible gut-wrenching decision I've ever had to make in my life. And, and basically he wasn't safe. We weren't safe. Um, and so our, his doctor put it pretty simply. He said, you know, you can keep going the way things are and, you know, ruin your marriage, ruin your family and damage Evan further, or you can get him the help he needs and send him where he can receive 24 hour care, help, help Evan and save your family in the process. And, you know, when you put it like that, it just puts things into perspective. So when he was 15, we uh, found a wonderful therapeutic boarding school in Idaho. Uh, and because he graduated from there and is considered a resident in Idaho, he got services the first day. In Texas, we've had him on a list for 18 years, and we're still close to 30,000th on the list for him to receive similar services. So Texas is the worst state of all states in their ability to help from a mental health perspective in terms of resources, funding. Um, and so it, it's pretty sad, but, you know, Evan is, he, he's got autism. He's got um, a severe mood disorder. He's got oppositional defiant disorder, sensory integration processing disorder. Uh, he's got, you know, low IQ and, and low problem solving speed. So for him, the whole world is just kind of overwhelming. And um, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say the the journey's easy, but I sure have learned a lot along the way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't imagine because when you said he he tried to kill you at age three yeah. and like you said, everyone was at risk and not even understanding, you know, what was going on in his little brain at that time, his little three year old brain. Um, so I see why mental health is such a, a passion area for you. And I think that everybody around the world is always wanting to make sure that we are mentally and emotionally as stable as we can be when life tries to knock us down. Um, so I, I'm just so grateful that you're here. And, and I thank you for sharing that story. And look, I know that was just skimming the surface. You have hit some highlights and I'm still a little dumbfounded at, at all of the things that you and your family have survived and, and you're thriving through it. So let's get into this thriving with resilience. Um, as I mentioned, Anne has written three books. The first one was 52 Strategies, right? Yeah, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work. Life, Love, and Work. And then she's got a book called Strong Enough. Love that title. Um, because I, one message that just keeps running through my head as I listen to you, Anne, is that we can do hard things. I say that a lot, but when you hear inspirational, really tough stories, tough stories to hear like yours, then, and, and here you are, you know, this amazing woman, we can do hard things and we need to be equipped to do that the best that we can. So this third book, Mind Over Moment, I was telling Anne, I love the title because you knew we hear that that phrase mind over matter a lot, but moment to me makes it more achievable because if we can really get that right mindset in the moments that kind of push our buttons, then, you know, we're going to make it in the bigger picture of life. How did you come up with that title mind over moment? Well, you know, it's funny because people are always searching for happily ever after. And I think we're set up for that expectation when we're young. We see movies of princesses being rescued by princes. And, you know, we, we're kind of sold this idea that life is going to be a fairy tale. And 
we search for elusive states of happiness. And what I learned along the way, and I was diagnosed with clinical depression at the age of 19. So I'm just not like, this is not like something that comes naturally for me. I have to actually really work at it, which is why I broke down the skills because I I have to practice this just to maintain my own mental health. Um, but you know, life is really just a collection of moments, and our job is to know that the the crappy ones are going to pass. They 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 will. Um, but it's really to savor what I call delicious moments, these tiny moments of joy and gratitude. Because when you start to focus on them, you realize there are lots of them that we normally just kind of rush past in our search for happily ever after. So. This book is really about how do I step out of reactivity? How do I try to take back control of my life? And rather than just survive the life I have, how do I design the one I want? Um, And I think so many of us are just, you know, I I started off by talking about this gerbil that I had when I was younger named Penelope, and she just ran on this wheel all the time. And I looked up in my mid thirties and I felt like that gerbil, I was just running and running and running, but I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. And I was just exhausted and burned out and overwhelmed. And I, I learned that you can take these tiny baby steps that over time equal big changes, but in the moment, they're not as overwhelming as try to overhaul your life. Like you would see on a talk show, um, because I just don't think that's realistic and it sets people up for disappointment and failure. And, and so mind over moment is a way to really focus on extracting those beautiful moments and making decisions in the moment about how you want to respond rather than how you just instinctively react. Uh, I love it. And you know, you make such a great point that, we are kind of conditioned to think that life can just be a fairy tale. And, you know, expectation really is the root of all heartache. Because mm-hmm. when our expectations aren't met, then we feel hurt or disappointed or broken right. or angry. And I think that having a, a better, more realistic set of expectations, like you're saying, is going to so help us in this life that can be very, very difficult, but can be, oh, so good. I love that you touched on gratitude and and that whole word, savor the delicious moments. Uh, When I read that in your book, I thought, oh, that just, it kind of makes your mouth water, right? When you think (laughs) of the word savor and, and about gratitude, you wrote something in there about look for it, savor it, and express it. Yes. So tell us a little more about that. Well, gratitude in and of itself is wonderful, but it's not just like, oh, I'm thankful I have a roof over my head. There's really a formula to it. And so I, I, I call it the three S's, right? First, it has to be very specific. If you're if you're starting your day going, I'm grateful my family's happy and healthy. Well, that's wonderful, but your brain likes novelty. So if you're grateful for the same thing every day, your brain just kind of discards it and doesn't pay attention. So it has to be really, really specific. Um, the next thing is it, when you have a negative experience, it's encoded immediately into your long-term memory, into your neural mind map so that your brain can protect you. Unfortunately, the positive experiences aren't going to save your life. So they flow through your brain, kind of like a water through a spaghetti strainer. So savoring is a psychological term that means you step outside of the experience and you internalize the good feeling. You you really focus on experiencing that beautiful, good moment. I have a board in my office, a cork board, I call my delicious moments board. And every time I have one of those moments, I jot it on a sticky note or print out the email someone sent or take a picture of the restaurant I was in and post it on the board because it it allows you to get the full benefit of dopamine and serotonin and lower cortisol, the stress hormone, like just looking for something to be grateful for lowers cortisol, the stress hormone by 23%. And because our brain is has a natural negativity bias built in, meaning we naturally magnify negative experiences and minimize positive ones, you can actually retrain your brain. You can rewire your brain to start searching out and enjoying beautiful moments. Um, But the last part of it is you have to share it, right? So a lot of times, when was the last time you left a long day of work or shut your laptop and said to yourself, like, you know what, if one more person appreciates me, I quit. Never. Uh, And I I don't want any more appreciation. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I think sometimes we take for granted how 
simple it can be to transform someone's mindset or day by pointing out the things that we're thinking in our head that we're grateful for, but not necessarily sharing. So it's this it's this formula of looking for it, making sure you're acknowledging something specific. And, you know, James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he and he talks about this concept of habit stacking. So the, the idea of habit stacking has been around for a very long time, but it's basically tying a behavior that you want to cultivate into a habit with an existing one. So I brush my teeth twice a day. And while I brush my teeth, I think of three very specific things I'm grateful for. And the formula I use is I'm grateful for blank because blank. And it forces you to really get granular on why is that something that I appreciate? I'm grateful my husband made me a cup of coffee this morning because I was really sleepy and it woke me up or it showed me love in a way that's meaningful to me or and anything, right? I'm grateful I have toothpaste because my breath smells like something crawled in my mouth and died overnight. Like it, it doesn't have to be like these big things. In fact, the smaller, the better. And you start training yourself. Uh, it doesn't take away the crappy moments. Like, don't get me wrong. I still have plenty of those and, and it's hard not to dwell on them. But if we gave the same level of attention to the positive as the negative, our brain would change. And so it, it's, it's, experience-dependent neuroplasticity. Our brain changes based on our experiences. And the more often we think and behave a certain way, the easier that becomes our default. So I really didn't start practicing gratitude until I had facial paralysis. And, and someone was like, no, I'm telling you, this is magic. And I thought, like, I'm speaking with a speech impediment. I'm like, I don't know what I have to be grateful for. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm grateful I have half my face. That's where it started. I'm grateful half my face still works. And and so it, it's it's a skill, it's a practice, and it's not one um, that comes easily for everyone. But research shows even thinking of three things you're grateful for every day increases optimism and optimism and happiness levels long after you've stopped doing it. So it's just a, it's a simple practice, but it's one we often just kind of look past because it seems too simple. I, I am I'm right there with you about how important gratitude is. My listeners know I, it comes up almost every week, not every week, but almost every week about practicing gratitude. And there are so many ways. And by the way, I do want our listeners to know that this is one of the skill sets that you write about in your book, because um, it goes from part one of mindset, then to the skill set, then to the reset. And something that's really interesting that you said about the gratitude is how our mind can just dismiss something if we just say it over and over. So I think that's a great takeaway that we like novelty. Our brains like novelty. So that makes perfect sense that you are talking and sharing about get very specific and give the reason why you're grateful for something. Um, that's such an amazing skill that you write about. And I mean, there are so many, I've, I've got a few of them jotted down, but one that you actually just touched on because, you know, we've got to practice the gratitude, but embracing the crappy moments, that's <laughs> how you wrote it. And I love your sense of humor. So how do we do that? And how do we embrace the crappy moments? Cause we all have them. Yeah, I, I call it sit in the suck, right? Like you don't have to <laughs> marinate in it, but what happens sit is- in the you, suck, I love it. You know, if you think about the beginning of COVID, like alcohol sales in Texas spiked like 500%. And the reason is nobody wants to feel anxious or sad or scared or you know any, what we kind of label as negative emotions, right? So we try to avoid them at all costs. The problem is- when you tell your brain not to focus on something or to try not to feel it, you actually magnify it. You feel it more intensely and you feel it for a longer duration. So I, I love that pop psychology has brought people lots of ways to think differently about it. But one of the things I think that it has also done is it's it's created this toxic happiness expectation, mm. right? And it's okay to not be okay. Your brain is not supposed to be happy all the time. It's supposed to experience a full range of emotions and none of them are good or bad. There's comfortable and uncomfortable. But if you don't allow yourself to sit in that uncomfortable or uncomfortable feeling or sit in that discomfort, you're actually magnifying it and making it last longer. So when we try to numb it, like with alcohol or drugs or sex or food or whatever your vice is, 
it might feel better momentarily, but it's actually magnifying the issue. So when I say sit in the suck or embrace the crappy moments, I just mean you don't have to marinate in it for days and weeks and months, but you don't have to beat yourself up for feeling what you feel. And you've got to give yourself permission to cry and grieve and process and get angry. And if you have folks in your life and you're kind of this person who's going, turn that frown upside down, you have so much to be grateful for. You know, I think gratitude is wonderful. However, it's okay to not be okay. And if we don't allow people to experience the full range of emotions, we magnify the nasty ones. And it's funny because I have friends who have small children. And I heard one of them say something the other day. Um, She told her son, don't come out of your room until you're happy. And I think a lot of parents are well-meaning when they do that, but we do a great disservice because we're not teaching kids how to label their emotions, how to understand their emotions, how to sit with their different emotions. And if, if, if you're pretending to be happy, it's called surface acting when you're not really happy and it's just exhausting for your brain. So we have to get honest about our emotions. And if you're chronically in a state where I have been, where that crappy emotion is so strong and overwhelming that it's really difficult to process it, that's when it's time to get help and um, and, and seek some some third-party interventions, whether it's speaking to a friend, a family member, or ideally a professional who's trained in how to walk you through that emotion so that you can regulate your nervous system, so that you can get your brain out of a state of threat, so that you can focus on the cognitive ability to get through it. When we're when we're trying not to feel it, we're in the emotional part of our brain and we can't logically work through something that's irrational. So, or, or that feels irrational. So it's, it's just a skill like any other. It's just not one we're taught in school. And I don't know about you. I, I use this way more than algebra. So it's, you know, it's one I think we, it should be mandatory in school, life 101. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I, I don't use much of my algebra, but I definitely use that emotional intelligence that, you know, we talk so much about. And, you know, it, it is interesting. Um, I, Mr. Rogers said once, it, feelings, emotions are mentionable, but they are also manageable. And like you said, you really need to let yourself feel these things and realize the point where you do need some third-party professional intervention and work through all of that. It's brilliant. I love hearing all of the psychology and the neuroscience behind all of this because I mean, our brains are our control tower, right? And we need to take care of them and recognize them. It makes me think of a dear friend of mine recently had a really big loss and we were talking about it and, you know, she would begin to cry and then she'd say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I was like, it's not, it's not okay right now. And it's okay for you to cry. I think we need to give ourselves permission, right? Um, but I, I love the way you put it, sit in the suck. <laughs> well, and most of us think, you know, it's natural to think, well, of course my brain is working for me. And it is if its only job is to keep you alive. <laughs> but if you're trying to enjoy your life and be happy, you, and this sounds bizarre, but you have to use your mind to change your brain because our brain is designed for survival, period. It's not designed to make us fulfilled or happy or motivated or have love or any of those other things. It's designed to keep you functioning and alive so you can reproduce and carry on the the human race, but it's not designed to make it easy to be happy. And so it, it's, I, for me at least, it was so validating and helpful to understand that because I didn't feel broken anymore. Mm. Mm. What a beautiful way to uh, prepare for us to take a little break is just let this all wash over us and, and know that this helps us be kind of put back together, right? Like you said, and didn't feel broken anymore when she started realizing all of these skills are within her and they are within you too. So I think this is a beautiful place to take a very, very short break, but do not go anywhere because we have so much more to talk with Anne about, about the skill set and some of the reset processes 
for harnessing that power of resilience mind over moment. We will be right back. Do not go anywhere. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready to ignite your passion and purpose for life? Make sure you join Jan Jones each week for the Good Good Life podcast. Each week, Jan will share her expertise and insights into personal development as well as spiritual growth discoveries. From the challenges in the valleys to the victories on the mountaintops, Jan has persevered through all of them with unwavering faith and joy. Life is full of possibilities, and Jan wants to walk with you as you discover those possibilities and unleash your full potential. Rekindle the spark inside of you and rejoice in the good, good life with Jan Jones, where we will all love living and live loving. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. If you have a question or want to share your story with Jan or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888 888- Three four six nine one four one. Now back to the show with Jan. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Anne Grady, author of Mind Over Moment harness the power of resilience. So we have been talking about some amazing skill sets that she writes about. And I think that when we talk about resilience, of course, we learn a lot about that during moments of high stress, right, Anne? And I would love for you to share your insights on how we can manage stress. You know, I have been a worrier since I was a little girl. My fifth grade teacher wrote on my report card, if Anne doesn't stop worrying, she's going to have an ulcer by the time she's in the eighth grade. And I didn't oh, get no. an ulcer, but I did get a tumor in my face. Um, and I... <laughs> And I've since learned since my last book, this is actually part of my new book that I'm writing. I've since learned that stress in and of itself is actually not bad for us at all. Stress is your body's way of mobilizing resources toward or away from something. It's actually our belief system about it that causes harm. So there's lots of research that literally changing the way you think about stress changes your neurobiological response. But one of the things that I see a lot and that I experienced is we spend so much time trying to manage stress and reduce stress. But the problem is your brain is focusing on stress, right? When you're thinking, I don't want to feel stressed. Well, your brain is all it hears is stress. So what I found so incredibly uh, impactful is that people who practice resilience don't try to necessarily reduce all of the stress. They try to offset it by cultivating positive emotions. So that's where gratitude and social connection and humor and laughter and volunteerism and all of those things come in because it has the same unintended side effect of reducing stress, but it also moves your brain in a more positive direction and changes the way it perceives the world. So it's not the stress that's bad. It's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. If you're like, oh, okay, that's just my body putting on some armor to deal with what's going on. Like I'm wearing my shoulders as earrings. That's just my body mobilizing some resources. Um, and then you focus on, okay, let's watch a stand-up comic. Not because I feel like laughing, but because my brain needs to know it's safe. And if we're laughing, our brain knows we're not being chased by a tiger. 
So the more you can proactively and intentionally cultivate positive emotions, the more you will be able to manage stress. It's just an inverse relationship. Mm, I love that. You know, and it, I'm sitting here thinking about when you were talking about the sit in the suck, right? Embrace our crappy emotions. And you mentioned that the more you're focused on that negative feeling, well, no, actually, the more you're trying to say, oh, don't feel this way, don't do that, it's actually you're focused more on it. And it sounds very similar with our stress. The more we really think I'm so stressed out and this is so scary and, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to get over that, then, yeah, we may never get over that. And so to cultivate and to to uh, pivot and to work on a new better positive emotion that is just brilliant when you can step out of it right, right? and it's not always easy i get stuck in it all the time because we're human but it's a skill right it's a skill and it doesn't mean you try to pretend like the stress isn't there but you know for example i've got a project right now that's really challenging really stressful i've felt my whole body just kind of go into that state. And last night, my girlfriend said, hey, why don't you come over for a cocktail and hang out with me? And my first reaction was, no, I don't have time. I've got to work. And I sat there thinking about it for a couple of minutes. And it's like, that's exactly what you need the connection to fuel your self-care and fill your cup so that you have the mental and physical energy to go do those things. But we're we're so accustomed to thinking, well, success equals busyness. And if I'm not stressed, I'm not doing enough. And it's just a it's just a backward perspective that it's unfortunate, but so many of us have. I think we have to redefine what success looks like. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I was sitting here thinking about, you know, we are human beings and not human doings. Right. But yet we act like we're human doings. And I needed that message. And I'm just going to confess, I I am the one that says, oh, I don't have time. Oh, yeah, y'all go on to dinner. I'm going to I'm going to stay behind and work. And I I I find myself doing that too much, like with friends and family and just stepping away mm -hmm. and making sure that your definition of success is a healthy definition of success. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that's so brilliant. I love that. You know, these, again, these are all skill sets that Anne writes about in her book. Um, I, I liked one that you phrased as, um, get a helper's high. <laughs> and I would love for you to share a little bit about that one. Well, the research shows that when you do something nice or kind for somebody else, you actually get a flood of dopamine and serotonin. And so it literally makes you feel good to help other people. So whether it's, you know, see you see someone who's older trying to put groceries in their car and you just go, let me help you with that, which I did the other day, and it just makes you feel so good. Uh, or or it's volunteering your time or or anything like these don't have to be big things, but it actually creates all of the neurochemicals that are in antidepressants naturally. And so the mm. more often we we tend to get stuck in in focusing on ourselves, but the more pro-social you are, the more you're able to get out of your own way and focus on helping other people. It actually helps you in the process. So I don't have all the answers when it comes to dealing with kids like Evan, but I talk to parents all the time in hopes that they know they're not alone and know that there are advocates out there. And it, it's selfish because it makes me feel better, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think there's there's several things just in that response you gave that we can take away. Um, number one, let's talk about what's going on in our lives and let's not work on that superficial surface. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. Like you mentioned before the break, because that is taxing on our brain mm -hmm. to put a pretense out there that isn't honest. So the more we talk about our lives and what's going on and the challenges, I found it out for myself when I went into renal failure, I didn't talk about it at first. And I know part of that was I was just in total denial. You know, I just thought this could not be happening. But when I did, 
the the love and support that just poured over me were overwhelming and humbling and it got me through. And so I love that message that you're giving that number one, let's talk about these things. And then because we have resilient, we have resilience and we have persevered through some of our own challenges, we can give that back. And that's that helper's high. You know, when we know somebody's going through something, we can offer up our experience and our support. And I love the idea of just helping someone that might be elderly load their groceries. I'll tell you something little like holding the door or the elevator for someone. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And and letting another car over that's I was exactly what I was just thinking, right? Most of us are like, oh, I had to wait in this line. You better wait in this line, right? But I've been the one who didn't realize I had to get in that lane to make a turn and somebody lets you in. And it's just not to mention the fact that when you are kind, it takes less emotional energy. It takes more emotional energy to be negative, angry, nasty, um, judgmental and critical than it does to just be kind. And and it's a skill that we're not taught. I I agree. And, you know, it's like you hear it takes more effort to frown than it does to smile. Uh, and it's it's the same with the kindness. You don't have to try to scheme and manipulate. Just do something kind. I really love that. Get that helpers high. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about the part three of the book, The Reset. And and look, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, we may have to have like a multi-parter here with Anne, but I I love this concept of a lighthouse that you talked about in the reset portion of Mind Over Moment. Could you share a little bit about that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. For first, let me explain the reset, which is re- really resetting your nervous system. Our nervous system is designed to keep us safe, but it it what happens is we've got these two components, your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic is fight or flight, but it's also the same part of your nervous system that would be activated if you just won the lottery. It's just a heightened response. Our brain is the only difference. Our brain's interpretation of the event is the only difference when our whether our body re- responds in fight or flight or activates the relaxation response. But your brain doesn't know the difference between a real or perceived threat. It just takes all of these threats equally. So the reset is how do you trigger that parasympathetic relaxation response? And and I share lots of strategies to do that. The lighthouse is one of them in that I, I swim. It's my self-care strategy. I can't I can't run or or play tennis. I've got two titanium pins in my left foot. But I do swim and I swim in a pool that has a line on the bottom of it to keep me going straight. Well, if you've ever tried to swim in the ocean, you know it's impossible to swim in a straight line. You're carried by the tide and the current. So you're taught to aim for an immovable object like a lighthouse. And for years, we had an in-home caregiver. Um, His name was Michael. Michael was from Tanzania. And every time Evan would have like this epic meltdown, which was multiple times a day, Michael would say, Evan, it's time to reset. Mother and father, it is time to reset. And he would remind us, look, think about what you're looking forward to. Think about where you want to end up. And Mm. part of the problem, especially during COVID, is that we didn't have anything to look forward to. So you've got to design these little lighthouses to guide your way and to swim towards. So, for example, a little lighthouse could be pizza night or date night. Mm. A big lighthouse for me is mental health advocacy. So every decision I make, is it going to help me get closer to that lighthouse or not? But you have to have things for you, your team, your family to look forward to. So we actually get just as much joy from anticipating a vacation and planning it as we do when we're there. So for example, if you're, you're thinking about a vacation, put pictures on your refrigerator, start to think about what that's going to be like. And it gives you the energy and motivation to keep going. But more than anything, it lets you know that you're making decisions in the moment that are in line with your greater purpose and values rather than just getting stuck in reactivity and exhaustion. Mm, God, I love that. I mean, I'm just sitting here soaking it all in. I love, I love that you talk about look for that immovable object. Yeah. And, and that's what you're swimming towards that lighthouse that actually is guiding you to the direction that you have set. 
Um, and, and they can be big or small. I know I always look forward to a Friday night movie night with my husband because, you know, you've worked all week and it's like, I just need to decompress. And now I'm sitting here thinking about all the lighthouses in my life, Anne. Well, <laughs> and it's, it's, that I, I want to say. Yeah, I think sometimes it's so hard. We're so busy being busy that you can look up and like 10 or 15 or 20 years has gone by and you're you're going, am I any closer to where I wanted to be? So you've got to have these benchmarks along the way that let you, they're guideposts to let you know if you're moving in the right direction and if not pivot before it's 30 years later and you're just dying to wait for retirement. Right. And so at any point in your life, you can create these lighthouses, but it's just to make sure, okay, it's backward engineering, right? It's reverse engineering. How do I figure out where I want to end up? And then what are these mile markers along the way to make sure that I'm going in the right direction? And it's almost like Google mapping your life. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you know, I mean, if we if we don't set the agenda for our life, then someone else will set it for us, right? Or circumstances. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Circumstances will. And you know, it would have been so easy for your circumstances to have set the agenda for your life and for you to have, you know, almost given up on what your goals were just to pour everything into your family for their safety. And you said it before the break, and I, I cannot even imagine, but the hardest decision you have ever had to make was to get Evan the full-time help he needed. And that meant removing him full-time from your home. And I, I can't even fathom that, but the courage and the strength that that took is truly inspiring. And, you know, one of, one of your reset skills is vulnerability makes you stronger. Um, tell us a little bit about that one, because, you know, people really do not like to be vulnerable. We, we've been conditioned to say we're fine. We're going to move on. Right. So tell us a little bit about vulnerability. Well, I didn't start sharing my story intentionally. I started when Evan was young talking about what he was experiencing because I was praying and hoping that someone in my audience had a resource or knew something that would help. But what I learned is that people started coming up to me after my talks and my sessions and saying, wow, that was so inspiring that you shared that I have a child or a brother or a cousin or a parent that is struggling with this. And I never felt okay talking about it. So vulnerability makes it safe for people to share, but also in an organizational setting, when I'm working with teams, that ability to feel safe in your environment starts with leaders and teams being vulnerable. And it doesn't mean you have to like, hey, I got this rash that keeps spreading. It doesn't have to be that vulnerable. But, you know, at the same time, it's like we're all going through it. And when we try to pretend like we've got it all figured out, it just it does ourself and others a disservice. So you've got to figure out what level of vulnerability is comfortable for you. But I guarantee you somebody is dealing with and going through something you are struggling with and going through and it's exhausting to do it alone and you can't get help and engage other people in that process if you pretend like you have it all together you've got to be vulnerable it's it's where i mean think about brene brown her whole business is vulnerability right and and i love one of her quotes i just live by it you can have courage or you can have comfort but you can't have both yeah and, you know and so some days i choose comfort I'm not going to lie, like Evan should have probably gone to that school years before I was so terrified. And I don't think it took courage. Change happens one of two ways. You're either inspired or you're desperate. Either mm -hmm. where you want to go has to be so compelling, you're willing to get uncomfortable to do it, or where you are is so painful, you have no other choice. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I made that choice out of desperation. We just, I knew I'd get sick again. Um we, we could not continue the way we were continuing. And so I don't think it was so courageous, like you said, to send him away. I think I was so desperate um, mm -hmm. to not live in fear for him, for me, for our daughter, for mm -hmm. our family. And, and so I wish I could say that it was this courageous act, but it, it honestly wasn't. It was just exhaustion and desperation. And it took us six months after he was gone to finally come down from that 
intense level of cortisol and stress and take a deep breath, but it, the respite was really profound. Yeah. Wow. And, and look at you practice vulnerability right now to share that, that I, I wasn't being courageous, Jan, I was desperate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that being real with ourselves and with others is just, it's powerful. It really, it really is powerful. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, something else, and I know we, we don't have too much time left, but there was something really interesting about this skill of reset. And you write about stop searching for your passion, you know, because we hear passion a lot. Um, I'm a very passionate person and, you know, I I get excited and I want to do these things. But tell us about this. Uh, stop searching for it. Well, the idea came from Terry Despacio. She was doing a TED Talk with me at, at my event and she said, you know, find me a window washer and I'll bet you he's not passionate about glass. Um, I think... <laughs> or clean glass. I think sometimes we have this notion that there's this one purpose, this one passion that's supposed to be evident and clear. And that's not it for most people. Most people have to take action and then figure out which parts of those actions energize them and which ones drain them. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's not like most people wake up and go, oh, I know the one true purpose I'm supposed to serve. I, I know what I'm passionate about. Most of us have no freaking clue. Like yeah. we don't know. And that's okay not to know. And it doesn't mean you're broken. It means start taking action and trying different things and find which of those give you energy and fulfillment and make you feel good and which ones don't. Yeah. And you spend more time in the things that do. And what you'll learn eventually is you learn and grow and, and, and maybe that becomes your passion. Maybe not. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's true. You've got, you learn as much um, about what's important from the bad experiences or like what not to do as you do on what to do. Um, and so I love that. Oh my goodness. This is, it's just been an amazing time with you. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, well, my website is anngradygroup.com and Anne has an E on it. Um, I have a free resource. So I send out a tip tool strategy every single week. You can sign up at anngradygroup.com slash strong and oh. uh, full of free resources. My books are on Amazon and lots of lots of free resources on my website. So I hope folks will take advantage of those. Yes. And thank you. Thank you, Anne, for joining us today and for just this amazing, wonderful conversation. I know that our listeners have just benefited greatly. I cannot thank you enough. You know, um, I, our real life is the life that's in us and not the life that is around us. And I think that you have just really uh, confirmed that and you have shared so much and we just appreciate it. And I appreciate you listeners for joining us today. Enjoy this good, good life, love living and live loving until next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. We hope today was meaningful for your personal journey. We'll be back next week. Until then, continue to love living and live loving.